It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by Cadillac Foundation. We begin today's program with a close eye on the incidence of COVID-19 in our region concerning data for the past few weeks, plus a continued push to get people vaccinated. Today, we'll be joined by Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District and our go-to analyst on the pandemic picture here in the Tri-Cities area. Later on, women listen up. Cadillac Regional Medical Center is making it easier for you to schedule your all-important mammogram screening. We'll address that in the second half of our program. But first, we welcome Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, as the CDC this week relaxes mask requirements for fully vaccinated people, the numbers of COVID cases in our area seemingly continues to rise. I guess, where are we today with these cross messages? Are they cross messages or is that just the reality? Well, I I think that's a bit of reality. What we have to understand is there are are certainly uh, pockets across the United States where our case rates are not trending the direction we would like them to go. And unfortunately, Tri-Cities is and the, you know, mid-Columbia area is certainly in that situation right now. But the point that CDC is making is is quite valid, and it's really for that fully vaccinated person. If you are fully vaccinated, you can engage in a lot more activities safely, and there's been a lot of scientific research into what masks do and don't do, and it is very apparent that masks are extremely protective. But we also have realized that vaccine is extremely protective as well. And so CDC has gone to the step of saying, if you're vaccinated and you're outdoors, you can gather with groups of people, small groups of people, and even groups of people where not everybody is vaccinated and still be safe. But The important thing is, is those unvaccinated people need to continue to wear their masks because they could be spreading organism to that small group. But the vaccinated people, they are able to take their masks off in these groups. But if you are, say, attending a concert where people are crowded or a festival or a parade route where people are shoulder to shoulder, very close together, that is where risk certainly increases. And even if you are vaccinated, so important to wear a mask. Zeroing in on our area, I know numbers continue to be concerning. What's causing the higher numbers and who is where are they coming from? You know, our numbers are not looking good right now, and and that is disconcerting to us. What we see happening when we look at the age range of where the majority of our new positives are, they're that that late teenage years, that, you know, 16, 17-year-old on through 39 years old. That's the age group that we're seeing really spike up in case rate. That's also the age group that we're really focusing some attention on them to get vaccinated. When we look at our 60 and older population, that is a a very, very well vaccinated group of people. 70% of people in the U.S., 60 and older, are are vaccinated. And our our data in, in our local area, 
mirrors that. So we have a pretty well vaccinated 60 and older population, and that is not where we're seeing the infections. Where we're seeing it is in that late teen on up into the 39-year-old group. Very unvaccinated group, a very social group of people, and, you know, we're certainly, as our community has opened up in phase three, we're seeing more and more evidence of people not following the guidelines that are recommended to stop the spread, such as wearing masks consistently. Schools in our area have been among the first in the state to return to in-person learning both last fall when it was in partial model and most recently with a full return. Now, you had mentioned you'd expected to see a rise in cases as a result, but in area high schools, I'm understanding there are hundreds of kids throughout the Tri-Cities area alone are in quarantine after COVID surfaces, not cases, but they have been, uh, there has been uh, some risk, and so they're in quarantine. What's the latest on this? You're right, Jim. We are seeing an increase in quarantine in in that particularly high school age population just over the last short period of time. When the six-foot distance was relaxed down to three feet by the Center for Disease Control, we expected to see an increase in, in COVID activity within the schools because any time you bring more people into the room, that increases the likelihood that you're going to bring somebody into that room that caught COVID out in the community. If you're maintaining a six-foot distance in the classroom, you don't have as many people in class. But if you can do a three-foot, then you can increase the number of people that are in your classroom, thus increasing the chance that one or more of them could have caught COVID out in their home life and brought it to the school and then exposed potentially their classroom. I mean, it's pure math. We know it's going to happen. We expected it. And um, now we have to do whatever we can to help mitigate the spread beyond that. So I understand, obviously, if these these people are in quarantine and they happen to be high school students none of us wants to backtrack and what what is what is the criteria if i if i'm a parent of one of these students that's told okay jim uh, you were you were a close contact to someone who was covid here's what you have to do and here's how you get back to either being able to play my sport or come back to school in person the the guidelines are a little bit general on this a little bit gray in some respects but Essentially, they say it is a 14-day quarantine. That's what's recommended if you're exposed. Deviation to that 14-day quarantine can occur if it's been seven days since the exposure, the child has no signs or symptoms of COVID, and they had a negative COVID test that was collected at least five days from the point that they were potentially exposed. Then they can come back into the classroom wearing a mask, but must maintain a six foot distance. And right now our classrooms are set up to do the three feet distance. So bringing a child back into the school might be difficult because they're not necessarily set up at this point in time for that six feet distancing. So staying home and doing virtual learning might be ultimately the better option. So I broadening out to the state, and you touched on where the numbers are, and I understand there's the case rate and then there's the hospitalization rate. And from what I'm reading around the state, there are 
counties all over the state of Washington that are in jeopardy of being uh, required to go back to this restrictive phase two instead of this phase three. Is that a foregone conclusion that that will happen? I know I think Monday is the day where they do that, or can the numbers be brought down in that short period of time enough to avoid that? Well, that is honestly up to the Department of Health. Local health jurisdictions really don't have uh, control of that. We supply the data. DOH looks at the data, at least for case rates. We help provide the information, make sure they're getting the information they need. We also want to make sure they're, they're getting that accurate information. But it is ultimately up to the Department of Health to determine which counties stay in Phase 3 and which counties move back to Phase 2. So, you know, we're certainly looking at May 3rd as potentially being an interesting day because of the direction our, our data is showing we're going. Uh, we're not going in the right direction. And I, I suppose... Uh the state also reserves the right to say we can stay where we are and evaluate for another few weeks. Uh, I guess they, yeah, they Department reserve Department of Health, you know, has, has the option to determine what, what direction we go. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, we'll shift our conversation to vaccines. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to the program. A reminder, if you miss any part of the show, you can listen to Catholic on Call wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Catholic on Call and off you go. We're visiting with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, now to vaccines and another challenge we're facing, hesitancy to get this vaccine. And first, there's more than enough supply, I know, uh, for people who want to get it, correct? That's correct. We have a number of clinics still operating around our community. The... um Fairgrounds Clinic has just announced that they are no longer going to require people to make appointments through PrepMod, and they will be changing their signage to welcome people whenever they're open and have vaccine available. So trying to really encourage people to get out there, get vaccinated, take away all all the possible barriers that get in the way of people wanting to get vaccinated. So uh, the Fairgrounds is still available for getting your vaccine, again, 16 and older, excuse me, out there, it's 18 and older because of the vaccine they have. And then at um, CBC West, they are open on Sundays. And actually, a couple of them are at the fairgrounds, we're going to do a couple of different kinds of vaccines. So you'll want to check what vaccine is available to determine what age because at the fairgrounds, they are going to be running both the Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer vaccine. So you'll be able to choose which vaccine you want to sign up for. At the fair, at the CBC site, they're doing the Moderna. So when you go to these clinics, make sure you're getting the vaccine that, that you intend to get. If it's your second dose, make sure you're getting the correct second dose. That's real important. And then we continue to do a number of pop-up clinics around the community and offering it a lot of times to our ag worker community. The businesses are inviting our pop-up clinics in, and we're actually getting a pretty good response. I personally just got done doing a two-day clinic 
where we vaccinated about 170 people. And what was exciting there is it was our second clinic, and the people who we had vaccinated first obviously told their friends because we had many more first-time vaccinators at that clinic as well because they had heard their friends got vaccinated, they did fine with the vaccine, and that encouraged them to come and get the vaccine. So we know word of mouth, friend to friend, is so important when it comes to um, getting vaccinated. If your friend did it and did fine, you're more likely to get vaccinated as well. So you have had success getting out into the farm worker population. Obviously, as we've discussed last year at this time and during the summer, it was a very hard hit with COVID. So you've been able to outreach and get out into those pockets where the people are to get them vaccinated. Right. Um, so we're, we're doing our concerted efforts to get out there. But I, I think an area of focus we really need to work on, again, is that 16 to 39-year-old general population group of people. Uh, one of the incentives for getting vaccinated, especially if you're a 16-year-old, is um, get vaccinated and you won't get infected. And if you happen to get exposed at school, that keeps you out of quarantine. So, again, a fully vaccinated person, which is two weeks after your second dose of a two-dose series, or two weeks after the Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine, if you get exposed, you do not have to go into quarantine. So that is certainly an incentive to get vaccinated. Getting vaccinated also opens up a lot more opportunity for you to enjoy those activities you like to do safely without a mask. So that's certainly a, a really good reason to get vaccinated. And you know, the more vaccines we've given in the United States, millions and millions of doses, and we certainly have seen some side effects and some pretty devastating ones that hit the news the last few weeks. But when we compare the risk of taking a vaccine to the risk of actually catching the disease, there's such a difference. There are so many greater risks when you actually catch COVID disease than there are with actually getting vaccinated with the millions of doses that have been given not only in the United States but around the world, getting the disease is far riskier for your long-term health than the chance, the minimal chance of having an adverse reaction to the vaccine. You know, we've seen several attempts to increase the, the vaccine rates and these harder to accept groups, I guess we could call them, public information campaigns from celebrities, athletes, public health leaders, community leaders, and the like. Uh, have we reached a point where maybe we have to recognize that some people don't want to get it regardless of the effectiveness? And, and you are exactly right, Jim. There are some people that, and it's their choice. They choose just, I'm not going to do it. And, and we have to accept that. But there are a number of people who are still questioning, still on the fence, haven't done it for a number of reasons, and some of them are as simple as convenience. If it's convenient to me, I'll get vaccinated. In fact, at one of my clinics I ran, we had three truck drivers drive by, saw we were doing a clinic, and they said, can I get vaccinated too? Because it was convenient. It was in front of them at the perfect time for them to get vaccinated. So of course we gave them the vaccination. I was going to say, you know, we we touched in the first segment, you know, kind of this cause and effect thing of the, 
as the as we make progress, more vaccinations, numbers coming down and the like, we can relax these masking standards. The six feet goes to three feet. But at the same time, uh, you know, our, I guess it's both. Do we, is it possible to relax public health measures as we continue to see COVID cases as long as we're doing some of these things that we should be doing? And I, I think it really is important that we don't let our guard down. We continue to do all those suggestions of wearing the mask and washing your hands, keeping your distance, and then vaccination on top of it. If, if we all consistently do these things that we know are going to work, and the science behind masking, the science behind hand washing, distancing, and vaccination is so strong, we know these things work, then we'll be in a better place soon. But it's when we let down our guard, as, as we kind of have in our community lately, that's when we're going to start to see our, our data change in the wrong direction. And I know when you've touched on this before, I can remember, you know, during the flu season or when we were having the conversations last fall when preparing for the vaccine, uh, I can't remember the stats, but I want to say you said if, if a flu vaccine is 55, 60 percent effective, that's that's a good flu year as far as vaccine. And these right, we COVID vaccines that, are in the mid-90s, right? Right, right. Um, COVID vaccine has a 90 percent efficacy for preventing death, severe illness, hospitalization. Flu vaccine is not that good, but it's what we have to work with. And so when we see a vaccine doing this much to prevent severe outcomes, that's a really good vaccine combined with truly the... Um, the rate of severe adverse effects from the vaccine in the vaccine world, this we have not seen a significant number of them. Anytime you put a medication into your body or some kind of therapeutic agent into your body, you run the risk of having an adverse reaction. And the same holds true with vaccines. It's just that we don't want to see vaccine reactions, so we have a much stricter idea of what's acceptable in the vaccine world before it goes on to the market. Many of our medications used to treat illness and disease. We're a little more lax as a nation, and we're accepting of some very adverse, severe adverse reactions to certain medications. But we tend to be a lot stricter with our vaccines, which is a good thing. And that's why vaccines are so very safe, is we do have those strict controls in place. So as we get ready to turn the calendar into the month of May, as we're speaking this evening, reflect back to a year ago and where we were and compare where we were then to where we are now. And what's your message to people tonight as it's April 28th of 2021? We have learned a lot in the last year. We're also at that pivotal time in our community where events are happening that bring gatherings together, graduations, parties, um, all of those events that we do as soon as the weather changes. So we know those risks are going to happen again. The good news is we have one more really good tool in our toolbox, and that's vaccination. Last year, we only had masks, distancing, hand washing. This year, we have that added tool of vaccination. And by getting vaccinated, that could definitely improve how our spring and summer goes. 
And as you mentioned, as we prepare for the next measurement from the statewide numbers, hopefully there'll be some progress made so that there isn't a further restriction on those activities and we can continue to work the other way, which is more toward a full reopening. Visiting with Heather Hill, once again, thank you so much for your time tonight. And again, for the latest information on everything related to COVID-19, go to the Health District's website, bfhd.wa.gov. Back with the second half of Catholic On Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to the program. So much of the past year on this program has been spent trying to get you the very latest information relative to the coronavirus, COVID-19, the vaccine, and as much as we can share with you in as credible and as objective a fashion as we can. But that doesn't mean uh, the health care that is provided around the health care facilities in the Tri-Cities area doesn't continue to take place. People get sick outside of COVID. And so that's why there are emergency rooms and hospitals open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. On the diagnostic side, there are also the the important screenings that are necessary to be done. And for women, um, many times that includes a screening mammogram. And I think it's at the age of 40, uh, they are recommending starting to get screening mammograms. And usually the month of October is when we want to do this. But periodically on this program over the past year, we've been trying to remind people outside of COVID of the importance of of healthcare examinations and making sure if you're sick, go talk to your doctor. And, and so tonight uh, we're with Krista McManus, who is the manager of breast imaging services at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And relative to the topic of mammograms, there's a new service available for women to help it ease their way as they try and get their mammogram scheduled. First of all, they don't have to wait till October to do it. Uh, but for those who are Catholic patients, there's an online way that people can go on and schedule that screening mammogram. And, and Krista, if you would, just explain why you're implementing this. Is it just another way to make it easier for women to get this important screening? Yes. Um, so we just want to make it easier for patients to be able to take time out of their busy lives because they're usually taking care of families, they're working, um, you know, and have a hard time taking time out for themselves. So this is a way that they can log into my chart if they have access already and um, search, click on the visits icon and be able to schedule an appointment. Now, my chart is the online health record that Cadillac utilizes computerized. Uh, so not only can you now do this feature, but you can go in and see different kinds of um, health records on your health record through the computer. And I guess just... You know, you deal in technology in the imaging world, and and it's amazing to see just how technology has made things, not only in how you, the kinds of diagnosis and diagnostic work that you and your team can do, but even on the convenience side for patients too, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think my chart is a great tool um, for patients to have. Um, You know, it's hard to get a hold of if you need to message your provider. It's hard to get a hold of them via phone during the day. 
Um, MyChart is an easy way you can log in. You can message your provider if you have questions, um, whether it be regarding prescriptions or lab results or when you need your next test. Um, you can message, and you can also see you can also see results that of tests that you've had. So any imaging results, lab results, um, things like that. It's just nice to be able to have that access. And this particular program, it's called MyChart. And so if you went to Cadillac's website and say you're a Cadillac patient, uh, you can go to the Cadillac site. And if you don't happen to have an account, you can. I would just search MyChart on the Cadillac website, which is Cadillac.org, and then be on your way to getting signed up. And then if you are in that category for needing a screening mammogram, then you can go forward and do so. I would like to have you address, if we could, uh, Krista, with this. Um, w- relative to technology and, and women's breast health, of just where things have come over the years. I know we usually have this conversation in October, but probably not a bad time to remind women of just uh, the importance of doing it and that they can do it now. They don't have to wait till October. Definitely. So, yeah, technology has come a long way, um, of course, over the years. And, you know, it's amazing to still meet women who maybe have had a bad experience, you know, 20 years ago, they come in now and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so much better than 20 years ago. So, you know, with our technology, um, it's typically not very uncomfortable. Um, But not only that is the radiologist can see a lot more um, on the image and through the image because he can scroll through basically 3D through the the tissue that we take uh, pictures of and look for breast cancer that way. So we can see a lot more. Um, we're finding cancers a lot smaller, so we're saving a lot more lives um, due to that. And if you would, remind our listeners, uh, what is the, the recommendation for when women should start getting mammograms and how frequently that should occur? You know, um, it's it's always a good thing to talk with your primary care provider. Um, 40 is typically the, um, the age that you should start. It all depends on family history, um, you know, and maybe for patients who have a first-degree relative, meaning a mother or sister um, who had breast cancer at an early age, then those patients may want to start earlier than 40. Um, you know, yearly you you is the best way to catch cancer early, but it's still important to talk with your primary provider and kind of um, discuss what options and what's best the best plan for you. Talk a little bit about the team you have that that does this work. Obviously, it, it can be anxiety filled for women, and especially if there's if there's uh, uh, some concern or maybe some symptoms being shown. Talk a little bit about your team and and what goes into uh, taking care and trying to ease the way of these patients. Yeah, our team, um, we have a great, great group of uh, caregivers here at Cadillac that um, typically they are, we've all, pretty much all of us have gone through the same type of imaging exam, so we understand and can be empathetic and, um, you know, know what it's like to be in, in that patient's shoes when they're worried about something or have been called back for more images. 
And so um, our caregivers try to explain what's going on, how long it's going to take, um, you know, if they will get the results that day, and um, just try to walk the patient through the whole exam and comfort them, you know, during the time of stress. And, and as you touched on, the way technology has advanced in, in all of imaging services, but in particular uh, with mammography, that, that what they're able to detect if there is a need for a callback uh, is just because of the technology. It's, it's mainly just to confirm or, you know, that, to rule something out. That, and, and that, is that easier done than maybe in the old days when the imaging wasn't quite so vivid? Yes. Uh, so, so the, the callbacks, um, you know, about 10% of the patients that are screened get callbacked. And so callback for additional images. And there can be a variety of reasons for that. Um, there's no two people that are made the same. And um, there's no tissue that looks exactly the same because we each have our own unique fingerprint. <laughs> and so when the radiologist is, you know, looking at the images, they compare from year to year and it depends on if there's been any changes or something's new popped up um, or if it's a patient's even first mammogram, sometimes just knowing, is this normal for this patient? Let's get a few different angles of the area that they're looking at to see, should we be worried or is it normal for her? We're visiting with Krista McManus, who is the manager of breast imaging services at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Again, if you're a Catholic patient and want to sign up to get a screening mammogram, you can utilize the MyChart feature, which is an online electronic health record in the Catholic system. You can go to Catholic.org and search MyChart to figure out how you can get signed up, and then you can uh, have access to all your medical records electronically. We have some more time to spend with Krista. We'll visit with her more about some of the activities happening over at the Breast Imaging Services area at Catholic Regional Medical Center, and we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. And welcome back to the program. Before we return to our conversation with Krista McManus at Catholic Regional Medical Center, a reminder from our first half of our program, if you have yet to get your COVID-19 vaccine, the mass vaccination site out at the fairgrounds now is uh, not even requiring appointments. You can just show up uh, during their daytime hours of operation and uh, you can get in and out very quickly. So if you're still, if you're eligible to get the vaccine for that age group, uh, you are able to do that very readily. And certainly I know that's the public health advice of the public health experts is to take advantage if you're eligible to make sure you do get vaccinated for everyone's benefit. Back to our conversation with Krista McManus, the manager of Breast Imaging Services at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And Krista, I would like to maybe connect uh, the work that you do and your team do to COVID-19. Was there impacts during the pandemic of people that were a little, I guess, reluctant to want to come in and get their imaging services done? Or, or how are things back to normal now? You know, yes, uh, for a time there, especially at the beginning, we um, we did close down our screening services for about six to eight weeks. 
there were a lot of people that were reluctant uh, to come in and, and get their vaccine and uh, I'm sorry, I was just, we were talking about vaccines <laughs> to get their mammogram. Right. <laughs> and um, and so as soon as we opened up um, back up to our screening services, you know, uh, we were busy and patients who were reluctant, you know, we can understand that. Uh, now we're pretty much hopefully back, people are back to normal getting their screening services, so... And you touched on, I remember that a point in time, and it was probably about this time for a period of a couple of months, there was a, a time where it's actually a statewide mandate for healthcare providers was that they called them non-elective surgeries and services. And so unless it was a real uh, critical need to get some of that health care, some of those services were were postponed for a period of time. And it was all relative to making sure there was enough of the Remember that term PPE? Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so, um, yeah, so we still were able to, um, thankfully, for our patient's sakes, um, continue doing diagnostic mammograms. So patients who are symptomatic and need um, any biopsy or further treatment, we were able to continue doing that. The screening services did come to a halt, um, of course, in every arena. And we're hoping to see everyone coming back and getting out there. I know a lot of people were afraid to go anywhere near a hospital um, due to COVID, and that's understandable. But on the other hand, I know, especially now, after several months of of doing that, the the precautions that are taken all throughout the healthcare spectrum, uh, whether it's in the hospital setting or out in some of the outpatient settings where you work, uh, great great work is done to make sure the the care the care is a, is provided as safely as possible, right? Oh yes, uh, yes. So uh, gloves are worn, masks are worn, everything's cleaned um, frequently. Every of course after every patient and before every patient. Um, so yeah, we have all the um, standards in in place to you know keep patients safe and keep our caregivers safe. I want to get back to the topic at hand, which was the importance of getting screening mammograms for women. And and I know there's a wonderful program that you have been involved in through Catholic's Foundation, that it's the Catholic Foundation Mammogram Assistance Program. And talk a little bit about that, if you would, on how that's helped women here in the Tri-Cities area. Yeah, so um, we have an amazing foundation that has a mammogram assistance program. And so what they do is they help patients who are without insurance or aren't able to afford a mammogram. And so they um, can qualify for a mammogram to be um, covered by the foundation. And so, you know, what we found is basically uninsured women are 17 times more likely not to get a screening mammogram compared to those who are insured. And so this is just a great program. I mean, we, we've we helped patients all over our region um, get the necessary screening that they need. And and I think that's numbers into the several hundred per year, isn't it? Yes, I think we were at 500 last year. And maybe for the listeners at home, you know, people that have health insurance, it, it may not really be as apparent to them. But if you don't have insurance and you need to get your screening mammogram, what kind of cost would that be to them if they didn't have access to a fund like this? 
You know, it's about, I would say, three about $300. And then typically there is a fee for the um, radiologist who is reading the exam. So I would say around 350 So it's a, obviously a very a, extensive cost. And as you said, yes. as a result... Uh, women who don't have access to insurance, uh, they're, they're going to probably think twice before they go forward with getting it just due to the cost. Yes, and it's um, it's really quite sad just because a lot of women who are symptomatic, you know, they're feeling a lump at home and they put it off and put it off and put it off. And, you know, sometimes it works out okay that finally when they do come in, they're like, oh, it was really a benign entity. Um, But others, you know, um, if it were to be positive for cancer, you know, it's just that much longer that 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 area has grown. And so it is it is sad. So it's great that this program is out there. And hopefully um, anyone who's listening to the program can share it with their friends. Well, Krista, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and share all the latest information. We don't have to wait till October to talk about uh, breast cancer, the importance of uh, screening mammograms. Krista McManus, the manager of Breast Imaging Services at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And if you know of someone who might qualify for assistance from that foundation program, you can uh, log on to cadillac.org slash foundation. If you would like to support it, there is information on how you can make a contribution to that mammogram assistance fund as well. And finally, uh, one other related information uh, event to uh, on an event, a fundraising event, the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation has its upcoming 21st Cancer Crushing Breakfast, and it's happening on Thursday, May the 6th at 7.30 at the various Fairchild Cinemas throughout Kennewick, Richland, and Pasco. It will be socially distant and safe, and all the public health measures will be in place. Uh, if you don't want to go in person or don't comfortable, uh, you can do a virtual viewing as well. Uh, but the Cancer Center, it's a 21st annual Cancer Crushing Breakfast. If you'd like more information, call 509-737-3373. And again, that event is Thursday, May the 6th. Two great foundations doing great things to benefit people here in the Tri-Cities. That's all the time we have for tonight. We'll talk again next week. Good night. Good night.